Can I talk about how much um, spit up and mud is on me currently? Go for it. There's so much spit up and mud on me currently. I'm sorry for my offspring, both fur and human. Yeah. So like I, as soon as I walked in the door, Ziggy just jumped on me covered in mud and I don't like, I don't, I'm not here to make you feel bad, but I just washed these pants. Oh no! <laughs> and you know how with like jeans, you don't wash them all the time. Yeah. Well, these ones are going to get a wash obviously. <laughs> and then like, I don't mind, actually, I don't even mind Ziggy so much, but with Charlie, uh, that's a pleasure. Yeah. It's an honour to be vomited on. It's an honour for you to to bestow. Oh, God. What a cute. What a life you're living. Indeed. Because there's just no, there's no fluids like that in my house. No, it's true. And you get used to it so quickly. That upsets me. Yeah. (laughs) On your behalf. You just don't, like I wouldn't, like tomorrow when I go to the wedding, I won't put that outfit on until just before we leave. Well, yeah, you couldn't. If you have anything where you're like, okay, I need to wear this, you just don't wear it in the morning kind of thing. And then whatever you're wearing for the day, you just kind of get used to the fact that you're probably going to get something on it. Yeah, well, like I'm I'm sort of wet at the moment. Yeah, just like a little damp. Yeah, damp, thank Mm. you. That's probably a more appropriate word. Josephine. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Excellent. Welcome to My Favourite Musical. Indeed. That's Josephine. That's Ruth. Yes. We are the hosts of My Favourite Musical. Correct. The podcast about musicals. Correct. Um, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording this podcast, the dark and young people. Uh, We pay our respects to their elders past and present and we extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening. Yes. Thank you. I'd like to start with an apology, sort of. Sort of. Here we go. You realise the Gilded Age is shit. Basically. (gasps) Is that real? So. Oh, no. The whole season's finished now. And? And it's not quality writing, (laughs) but I still loved it. That's fine. That's okay. You know what I mean? I think I just wanted you to admit that it wasn't quality writing. (laughs) The things that annoyed you didn't really, like the way it was shot and that sort of thing didn't really annoy me. Yeah. Um, And I loved all of the people in it and everything, which is obviously why I kept watching it. And I really enjoyed that it was sort of low stakes drama, right? But it was um, just a bit silly. Yeah. Right? Like it was just a bit silly. Yes. And I think there's been a lot of (laughs) criticism online about, the main girl, um, and I'm going to forget her name, but it's one of Meryl Streep's daughters. It's yes. her youngest daughter. Yes. Plays the main girl of people just basically saying, like, there's all these incredible actors all around her, Tony winners, you know, et cetera. And she's just, it's like, I wonder why she got this job <laughs> kind uh, of thing. And I actually didn't think she was that bad, but that, that's that been a lot of the criticism online. Her name is Louisa Jacobson. That's it, yeah. In the first episode I was like, I hope she warms up because she's terrible. Yeah. And then I stopped watching because the whole thing was terrible. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I feel mildly responsible for this, but also no, it's mainly, what's his name, Julian Fellow's fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have some news. Oh, yes. Hillary Clinton. <gasps> Yes, I've read this. <laughs> She's going to be playing uh, the role of the giant in the Arkansas pre- uh, prep rep- repertory. Pre- I don't know why I was going to say preparatory. <laughs> She's just going to be with a bunch of kids yeah. in this production of Into the Woods. I saw. Isn't that incredible? I guess that they, do 
they live there some of the time? I thought they were. He was governor of Arkansas, but then yeah. she was. The, she's a senator from New York. She's from New York. She? Well, yeah, yeah, but, but they must um, live down there now. Well, or a bit of both, maybe. But like, what are the optics of her being the giant? Like, of <laughs> her being this awful. Also, can we now say that Hillary Clinton and I have played the same role? We can. So Josephine and I are doing a production of Into the Woods at the moment. That's right. Josephine's playing the witch, arguably the lead role, and <laughs> um, and uh, and I'm playing My the giant. My talent gave me the lead role. But, yeah, you're playing the giant, the same as Hillary Clinton. That's right. You two are very similar. Indeed. <laughs> you're so, I, just I, I assume, so like me, that she's been pre-recording her role and not playing it night to night. I would sure. love to think that she sits in a little chair right? backstage. No, I think, a, I think most microphone. people when they do the giant don't. No, um, that's the whole point of doing the, the giant point. is yeah. that you don't have to show up. You don't up. have to be on stage. Um, also, we can talk about um, Ariana DeBose. Yes, I've, I've written that down too. So the Oscars were last week in the time that we're recording this. Yes. Um, amazing win. Oh, so she won Best Supporting Actress for her role as Anita in West Side Story. Which she, she's the second ever Latina woman to win um, an Oscar for their acting. That's right. After Rita Moreno, 60 years before, yes. won for the same the role. The same role, which also tells me that there aren't many, like, meaty roles for correct. Latino women. Yeah, correct. Which is a problem. Um, I think we also have to mention that it, it, it did mean that no EGOT for Lynn. I know. This I was, was disappointed because what uh, Billie Eilish won for the um, the James Bond song, the James Bond which song. Andrew's obsessed with that song. Oh, it's a great song. It's a great song. But that yeah, he's had a few. He's had a few times. Yeah, um, he'd be up for the ego. He lost for La 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 to La La Land as well. A disgrace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh, what did he have then? The Mary Poppins. Is that the Mary Poppins? Oh now stuff? It's, no, it would be Moana. I think. Oh right. I think it was Moana. He's had quite a few songs up for. Yeah. Um, for best song. So we'll see. I'm sure something will, you know, he'll What get I will there. say is that um, Andrew Garfield missing out on best actor was I a know. disgrace. So upsetting. So upsetting. I haven't seen King Richard, so like, no, I'm, but I'm sure it was I a great will, performance. I think I will watch it at some yeah. point because I, I play tennis. I, I'm quite interested. <laughs> You're a tennis aficionado. A t- tennis aficionado. Uh, but I love nothing more than Andrew Garfield's performance in Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, he should have won. Anyway. And so, I, yeah. think, I honestly think Spielberg should have won for West Side Story as well. I mean. Yeah, and I, but I'm just a bit cranky about a Jane Campion for other things. Yeah, well, she made that public that comment about comment. the Williams sisters it was really awkward and rude it was just bullshit yeah um but yeah and, did and you see shame. power of the dog no it's on netflix isn't it yeah it's good is it yeah, yeah. i really like um cody smith mcphee that australian australian actor. right yeah, yeah. yeah he's really good i mean i love he was in um romulus my father oh yes that's right yeah i would um commonly describe myself as a cumber bitch as we've discussed on this podcast before i'm sure so i wish you would never say that anything with better and i love jesse plemons and kirsten dunce as well yeah what They're did I both see in Jesse it, aren't Clemens they? in recently? Uh, what did I see him in? Breaking Bad? No. no. Are you thinking like something more recent? Yeah, it was recent, but it was without Kirsten Dunst, which is why it was weird. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's fantastic, though. Fantastic. I think. Do you think it's part of their like their shtick that they have to do things together? I know it is interesting. I mean, I sort of get it now with COVID. It's like me and Shane. It is like you and Shane <laughs> won't get cast separately. Although the other day he auditioned for an ad. We were both supposed to audition for it. He couldn't wait for me to get home from work apparently because I was running late. So he filmed his own audition, got the role without me, so some other woman played his wife <laughs> when they asked for me to audition as well and he wouldn't even wait for me. It was unbelievable. Wow. Uh, I'm obviously pretty saucy about it anyway. Yeah, fair enough. Um, can we talk about um, Funny Girl? 
Yes. Funny oh, girl. I wish I could see it. Funny Girls in previews, everyone. It opens soon. Yeah. I um watched, I basically watched the whole Sits Probe. Oh, I know. my gosh. Beanie Feldstein. Oh. I love her. Obviously, I love Sweet Rum In. I yeah. just, I'm just wish I, shut up. I'm sorry, I'm he's joking. Incredible. I love him. He's so you hot. You do love him too. I love him. Yeah. I just like to be contrary. You're, you like, you like to have that attitude more about Jeremy Jordan. Yeah, Jeremy Jordan is insipid. Who you are met about. Yeah, who I love. I am met about him. We both love Stephen Pasquale. But um, we both love. Um, I think sweet I just Rollers love. I, you love a you love a softer uh, boyish man. <laughs> you do. You really do. I prefer them a um, bit older, a bit more rugged. <laughs> I think. <laughs> anyway, we don't need to go into that. Mm. Oh my gosh! Also, the Assassins um, revival cast yes, recording is on Spotify. It is. So the speaking of Stephen Pasquale, it is so good. Have you listened so to it? So good, I have listened. I just like yeah, any chance to listen to Stephen Pasquale, like I will take. But it's like obviously a great show. We've spoken about it on the podcast before, but it's the recording, like what they've done with the production. It's a very stripped back sort of version of a lot of the numbers. Yeah. So this is really like particularly in the um, where they they move back sort of far in time. They really sort of are mirroring the musical instrumentation okay. like techniques of those time periods. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's just a really great recording. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's in previews at the moment is Mr. Saturday Night, the oh, Billy yeah. Crystal. the Billy Crystal. Which um, Jason Robert Brown has written the score yes. of. So I'm I'm very sad to not be there right now seeing oh, Mr. Saturday Night or Funny Girl. Those would be two that I would love to see. Right. Yeah. I do have some good news in that. Our friend who was in New York who was yes. only going to go see Wicked um, we were talking about this on the podcast. We talked about we? it on the podcast. So for all those who are waiting with bated breath, yes, he went and saw Wicked, but then he decided to go to see Hades Town as well. Yes. So we saw the Sunday matinee of Hades Town a few weeks ago, and he it was like I think it must have been like six a.m. here, yeah. and I was messaging him obsessively at like five thirty, and he was sending me all these photos, and he just loved it. Amazing, yeah, he loved it. Yeah, he, he sent obsessed. me a message saying he loved it as well because well. he really loves once. Yes, and so he's like, "You didn't tell me it was going to be like once." I'm like, "I shouldn't have to tell you. No. I just told you enough about it." But yes, he was very happy that he yeah. saw Hades Town. I'm so glad he did too. I'm bitterly jealous. Um, and the other thing that got announced this week, which I messaged Josephine about during the week, is this new production oh, yeah. of Camelot. This new revisal, as they call them. With Aaron Sorkin. With Aaron Sorkin doing a, a revised book of Camelot. So it, it'll it be like all those other Lincoln Centre ones, Bartlett Sher is directing, yep, et cetera, Sher, right, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So, um, yeah. It's just so, to me, like we, I've been meditating on it since you texted me. It's such a weird choice to me, yeah. Camelot. I hate Camelot. <laughs> but aren't there quite a few Camelot references in the West Wing? Um, Not a ton. Okay. No. But, like, there's references to a lot of stuff in the West Wing. And he often would reference musicals. Yes. Like, he loves musicals. We yes. know that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's more just like, yeah, the characters are obviously mu- – everyone seems to love musical theatre in the world of Aaron Sorkin. Yes, because he does. Yeah. And he was with Chris and Chenoweth for years. There's, and... like, a whole episode about Gilwyn Sullivan too. Yes. Which I love. Oh, the West Wing. <laughs> I do love Aaron Sorkin. You do. I, I do. mean, I would go and see this just as I've as I've said many times. We love a revisal. Those Bartlett Show productions yeah. make me see those productions in a whole new oh, light. This is what I'm excited about because I think, yeah, you should do Camelot. That's right. Yeah. Let's do those shows. I think I seen Camelot once when our amateur society did it twenty years ago. It's and really that's the only left time a I've lasting impact. Yeah, it has not at all. I couldn't tell you. A single thing about it. Not a single thing. Well, you know some of the characters. 
Yes, that's right. <laughs> because of their place in uh, mythology. Mythology. Yeah, yeah. Medi- I was like medieval. I was waiting for you to say history. <laughs> yeah, so I could be like, you I sort, idiot. I sort of stopped myself. I was like, I know it's not history, <laughs> but what will we say? <laughs> mm, bless ya. Hey, do you want to talk about a musical? Let's talk about it. What We're going to we talk this about week? Lion King. The Lion King. Mm. Like Lion King. <laughs> it's a Book of Mormon reference, for everyone. Yeah. Um. What's your relationship with the Lion King, Josephine? Um. I I didn't actually think I really had one. Yeah. I feel very Do you still not think you have I've, one? I still don't think I really have a relationship. I um so I saw the original Australian production. I think it must have been a school excursion. Mm. It was sometime in 2004. Okay. Um I loved it at the time for its theatre magic. I was sort of deep in the world of music theatre nerdery you definitely were. at that time. So I was very much like ready to love the theatre. Yeah. Definitely was not whelmed by the show yeah um i remember thinking that even as a teenager um i didn't ever really love the film the 1994 film really yeah so i was thinking about this i was like well i definitely saw it but i think i was just much more of like a disney princess fan oh interesting i love the film yeah well like i i just yeah i never did like i know i watched it a lot because there weren't many films for kids no like it was quite rare to get a kid's film and of course that was the heyday of the disney well yeah that was the disney renaissance but um i just don't really like i don't really love the songs i don't really love the story so much I just don't feel strong feelings for The Lion King. Yeah. But it was the first truly groundbreaking thing that I ever saw live, like in terms of the spectacle of the show. interesting. Yeah, so um, I'd only ever seen up until that point very traditional musicals that were staged traditionally, so I'd never seen sort of puppetry like that or I'd never seen set work that had happened like that. You know, like that stuff. I remember just being like, oh, my God, look at the lights and look at the set and look at these costumes. So, like, the professional musicals that you would have seen before then would have been things, what, like Phantom or, like, yeah, Secret like Garden. Yeah, like Phantom and, and The Sound of Music and yes. Wizard of Oz and The Secret okay. Garden. That's right. Yeah. All of those things that were really traditional. Yeah. And so even though this was staged in a prose arch, it felt like nothing else was traditional about no. the production. No, um, And now I just feel like, well, that's a bit tired. Right. <laughs> you yeah. know, Um so yeah, I just think like it's 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 great, it's fine. Um, I do feel like there are issues with the show in that I think the there's like a juxtaposition between how avant-garde the sort of presentation of the show is to this like hokey Disney-esque score and story. I mm. think that is at odds. Um, and I just don't think anything truly interesting happens in it. And I certainly think that Ragtime deserved best musical ever this at <laughs> yeah. the Tonys. So that's how I feel about Did it. Did you get I, – I went down a bit of a rabbit hole this In week reading, reading message boards oh. with people fighting about that. That was fun. Wow. Actually, so many arguments. Yeah. Like people get really worked up over yeah. this. Yeah. I went down the same rabbit hole as you. It was fascinating. Yeah. But, um, yeah, what's your, what's your yeah, vibe? Yeah, so I've seen – this show three times. Um, I saw it say, the same tour that you saw, and I think I'm thinking, yeah, 2003, 2004. I would have been like also in late high school. Mm. I don't really remember that, to be honest. Yeah, I know that we sat in the last row of the theater. Oh, I was like in the middle. Yeah, nice. No, and stalls. I just remember thinking, oh, I'm really far away. You know, <laughs> um, I saw it when it came back in 2014. Uh, we so at work we do the merchandise for Disney shows when they're in sort of this half of the world. Yeah, right. So Disney do their own merchandise. What's in, the other half? 
Uh, like, well, the Northern Hemisphere. I mean, right. we do them in the Southern Hemisphere. Okay, it's just checking, like, where you were halving the world. Okay, yeah. Or if it was just the traditional, so you <laughs> could have said something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> uh, and so, like, in New York, in like, in America and in, in the UK, they do all their own merchandise themselves. You know, if you've been in America, you've been to the Disney store, right? Like, obviously, it's yeah. a big thing. So, um, but... Down they don't here, have here, they don't yeah. have sort of that sort of presence. They don't have a presence, so yeah. we have been doing um, – Playbill, who I work for, have been doing their merchandise for a couple of decades uh, in those. So so we have done Lion King in Australia um, – yeah, came back in about 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. And um, and so I decided, oh, I'll see it again uh, yeah. because I, I didn't really remember it. And I had very good seats this time. Um, and I remember thinking – Again, that opening number is one of the greatest pieces of theatre I've ever seen. Yeah. Like, it is astoundingly good. But don't you think then that, like, there's a whole other show that has to happen after that? 100%. And the issue is that it never lives up to that opening number. I, I also agree with that. I do think that as well that probably the production values that we get in Australia are, like, it's like it's a touring version of the show. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was also really interested to see what uh, – so I then saw like it on the Broadway. Yeah, I yeah. saw it on Broadway in 2019. Um, and the reason I saw it, you'll enjoy this, is because <laughs> I'm, I'm already nerd, enjoying it. Well, yes. And I wanted to complete <sighs> the fact that I had been to every single Broadway theatre. I have a spreadsheet. And it counts like how many times I've been to which theatre. You're a fucking loser. There are 41 Broadway theatres and I've seen a show in all 41 of them. You are such a loser. And this was the 41st in 2019. That's the reason I went. Why are you like this? You love it. I do. I I know you're trying to be mean, but you love it. (laughs) I love it so much. And and so, yeah, so that's why I saw it. And what I felt it really suffered from at the time is the same thing if – if you went and saw, and I'm going to say pre-COVID, if you went and saw Chicago, Phantom of the Opera, Wicked, Wicked yeah. I saw Wicked on the same trip. Yeah. It suffered from tired. the same thing. Tired. Yeah. Uh, like it, it's really clear to me that Julie Taymor doesn't come to a rehearsal room and rehearse those people, right? Can you imagine if she did though? I like, know, right? After 20-something years where she's it's like, no, still, that's not what I intended yeah. in 2003. But what I will say is I would love to have seen some of these shows post-COVID, oh, yeah. I think they would have had a real uh, energy to them that wouldn't have existed two years before mm, that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I think for me, and I was, I, I, like, my opinion hasn't really changed this week. Not like hair that we did the other week, yeah. you know, where I really sort of felt a shift in what I thought about the show. Yes. For me, the stuff that is the adult stuff in the show I think is beautiful Mm. I love all of the um all of the chants in it all of that music I could listen to that music yeah all day yeah Shadowland like all those songs I think are so stunning and I think that those numbers in the show are Are also beautiful the puppetry the masks I think it's the Disney film elements it's struggle the kids stuff that's it yeah The, the other half of it that is like you know yeah, like all of like any scene that is like the kids and yeah. Zazu or whatever. Yeah, I just, it's just well, I just don't really care. No. I'm just I'm I'm watching a kids show. Yeah, 
I don't I don't really have an interest in this. And mm. I think they drag, to be honest, as well. I don't think they're particularly well directed, those moments. I would agree. Like I think Julie Taymor has a special skill set and it does not extend to those moments. And it's moments. incredibly visual. The skill so set visual. is incredibly visual. Like, tableaus. And, yeah. But then when it comes to actual action, she's not great. I also don't think I quite realised until we were researching this that she was also the costume designer. Yeah, I was quite amazed by that myself. But yeah. then when, I, when you look at her history and sort of like her background in yes. puppetry and that sort of area, it makes sense. Yes, absolutely. But, um, yeah. Anyway, uh, do the, you want to know the plot? Or yeah, you... well, one other thing I just wanted to mention is um, because of The Lion King – I was quite aware of COVID mm. long kind of before it got here because here in Australia, I mean, because we were merchandising what they've been calling like the international tour of the Lion King. Mm-hmm. So it had been to like Korea and Taiwan and quite a few places in Asia. Yeah. And it was due to open in Wuhan. Really? China to start the Chinese part of the tour in March, 2020. Oh. So I remember might have been like December or January and there was all these like, oh, this thing is happening in Wuhan. So we're not sure. If- we're not really sure what's happening. Like we had like a staff member due to go over there. Like we were all geared up ready yeah. to do this season. Yeah. And it was sort of strange because it was like we were discussing COVID as this big threat but only there mm. in the same way I guess that we would have thought about SARS or, yeah. you know, one of those sorts of um, diseases that have happened previously. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, it was something that like kind of affected our working so life. So early in the pandemic. Mu- several months before yeah. it sort of – and at the time we never thought, oh, well, shows will shut here. Yeah. Shows will shut in New York. Shows will shut – we oh, did, we're no not one, thinking that No one could all. have ever guessed no. that that's where we were so headed. So it was um, – yeah, it was really interesting. It was um, – yeah, because that literally in Wuhan was where it was due to open. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Do you think they've – gotten a production of the lion king since they have not sadly that tour did get to go though what was quite incredible when you think about it they went to new zealand um i don't know if you read this at all I in your did, research I did, yes. yeah so i think it was but our listeners didn't at the end of 2020 mm. uh for like an arena tour like they did it in um, and it was so well received incredibly it had never been in new zealand That's before right. And it I read was, a bunch of reviews. Did that, you? Yeah. And Cute. I think like part of it was that it was really like they loved it, but also that they didn't think they could get a show in yeah. 2020. So, yeah. It, exactly. And because, of course, New Zealand, even probably better than Australia, was man- maintaining COVID zero yes. at that point before all these like more infectious variants kind mm. of picked up. Um, yeah. It was just this pocket in time they yeah. got in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was so that that was that tour. Yeah. Um. I believe. I mean, I'm I'm on maternity leave at the moment, but I believe it's kicked off again somewhere in Asia. I'm not 100 percent sure where. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And obviously, it's it's reopened on Broadway. Like it's back. Yes. Correct. Yeah. It, yeah. It's one of those shows which I know you'll talk about. Yeah. Tell um, us the plot. Look, surely we all know it, or we have some knowledge of the plot of Shakespeare's Hamlet. <laughs> or um, this is also sort of Moses and yeah. There's a lot of there's like some biblical stuff. There's going lots on of too. oblique whatevers. I love that. Sorry, side note, but a lot of people call this Disney's first original story, which is like, well, <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is it a, like it's not a it's not an out and out copy, but it's pretty bloody close. Anyway, so King Mufasa and Queen Sarabi have had a cub, Simba. 
And while all the animals are celebrating the new prince, Mufasa's brother Scar bemoans his status and the fact that he is not king. That's basically the opening. Yeah. Simba grows up and Scar gathers this gang of hyenas in his support and plans to dethrone Mufasa. He lures Simba to a gorge and the hyenas begin a stampede of wildebeest, I think. Anyway. I think you're right. Um, Scar tells Mufasa that Simba is trapped in the gorge and Mufasa saves his son, of course, but dies himself, betrayed by Scar in a very traumatic moment. Scar convinces Simba that it's his fault that Mufasa died and that he should run away in exile and be ashamed of himself, which he does. So Scar becomes king and Simba is adopted by Timon and Pumbaa and brought up in the jungle under their devil-may-care philosophy. (laughs) Uh, So Scar is a really bad king. Um, Drought has descended over the Pride Lands. Scar is haunted by Mufasa's ghost and is slowly turning mad. Um, He decides to marry Nala, Simba's, like, would-be girlfriend. Yeah. Um, They're like family friends. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to talk about lion um, um, hierarchies soon. But anyway, I have big questions about that. So anyway, Nala hunts Pumbaa and Simba saves his friend and reunites with Nala. He's then convinced that the Pride Lands need him. There's uh, other toing and froing there, but basically then Scar should be replaced by the rightful king, which is Simba. A battle ensues and Scar is eventually defeated. The circle of life is restored and uh, the presentation of Simba and Nala's son finishes the show, the end. Mm. And Sarabi, both Sarabi and Nala are made bigger characters than they are in the film, aren't they? Much bigger, yeah. Yeah. And also that um, Rafiki, the the sort of like wise old man in the film, is turned into a female character because they realised on making the musical that there are no female characters that are sort of any import. So, yeah, yeah, Rafiki was turned into a female character and, yeah, both Sarabi and Nala are given more to do. Yeah. Still very much They both have a song each, for example, Yeah, but they're still all very much in service of and and, um, surrounding a man. But, yes. Yeah. What more could you expect? Not sure that this show would pass the Bechdel test. This show doesn't pass any tests. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not even the diversity test, even though on first first blush it appears so. Yeah. Anyway, that's the plot. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's fairly straightforward, isn't it? Yeah, it's it? easy. Yeah. It's a simple one. And it's um, basically the same as the film. Yeah, there's only just like extra bits added. Yeah. And like you mentioned, there's more of that sort of like those moments of, of um, African culture sort of like yes. brought into it. And, yeah, I think like the hyenas are given a bit more to do. And, yeah, Rafiki's given more to do and that's pretty it's much it. It's always just like we'll add a song for this person. Yes, yeah. that's right. Um, so some history. So it's based on the 1994 Disney animated fi- film of the same name. Um, it has now. You ready? I'm ready. Music by Elton John. Yeah. Lyrics by Tim Rice. Book by Roger Allers and Irene Mecky, along with additional music and lyrics by Lev O.M., Mark Mancina, Jay Rifkin, Julie Taymor, and Hans Zimmer. Julie Taymor added music. Yeah. She she wrote the lyrics to Endless Night. Oh. Isn't that random? Gee, she's a bit special. I don't know the context of that. I yeah. just know that that is the thing that she contributed. Huh. I also know that, um, it's a, I don't know the woman's name exactly, but the original Rafiki, yeah. she wrote the Rafiki Mourns and she did a lot of the ah, chants as well. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so that's a lot of people. So we've talked about Tim Rice several times yes. on this work. Of course, 
his work with Andrew Lloyd Webber and Josephine's favorite chess. Yes. Um, we haven't covered an Elton John musical. Have you ever done? No, I did Aida. You did Aida. I was going to ask you. Okay, sorry. We have done an Elton John musical. Yes. We did Aida. The better, the more superior. Yeah. Elton John musical. Billy Elliot fan, are you? No. No. I'm not. I liked it. The first time I saw it and then not so much the second time I saw it anyway. That's my ability. I love Elliot it when you take. get a bit. I love it when you hate a musical. <laughs> I love just, it so it much. It felt quite dated the second time I saw it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but obviously, like, a lot of people will know who Elton John is as well. Oh, yeah. Um, Alice and Mecky co-wrote the film of The Lion King. Sorry, I just realised that you were trying to reference Elton John by the musicals he'd written rather than, like... <laughs> Being Elton John. Oh, no, I also You mean, might know him from such musicals as Billy but, Elliot. But also, obviously, people will know who <laughs> Elton John is. I'm a massive Elton John fan oh, in terms too. of me too. Like, of his, his like, popular music. music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. One of the best oh, albums ever made. Incredible. Anyway, carry on. Um, so, yeah, so the the other two, the book, the people who wrote the book also wrote the film of The Lion King and, yeah. and adapted it into the Well, because there's the not stage. much, there was not much time between that happening. No. Like, it started it really is quickly. To think about this, yes, isn't it? That they were like, oh, we, we just finished making this film. Let's make this musical yeah you know yeah and i guess it was because beauty and the beast had been so successful yes that they did that even though it didn't deserve that success no that you're show. not the show is fan. a mess it's a mess i just don't know it very well to be honest what a mess sorry i'm gonna let you finish your yeah. thoughts and then i'll interrupt you okay um and so those two were also just very common disney writers they did a yeah. lot of um disney films uh those like animated musicals in particular. Um, and then the others, so like Lebo and Mark Mancina, Jay Rifkin and Hans Zimmer all worked on the music of the film kind mm, of thing. Mm. And that's, so that's sort of where that comes from. Lebo M of course um, was sort of, so he's, he's South African originally and did a lot of just general kind of, I, like in the nineties mm. would write like African music for Hollywood movies basically. Yeah. And had particularly worked with Hans Zimmer, who wrote the score of the Lion King film. Um, uh, yeah, he did like the Power of, the power one, of one, and, and there a was a few other others. those sorts of yeah. Yeah, um, so so that was sort of how he got involved, and uh, yeah, it's like it kind of obviously this like then kind of became his baby, almost as, in as much as it's Julie Taymor's baby to a certain degree. Oh yeah, degree. I would say so. Yeah, I would say they're sort of the two most recognizable. Yeah sort of figures attached to this musical. Definitely. And he still does press for it and things like that, you know. Mm. Um, so the musical debuted on July 8th, 1997 in Minneapolis, Minnesota at the Orpheum Theatre and then went on to Broadway at the New Amsterdam Theatre on October 15th, 1997. Uh, it actually moved theatres on June 13th, 2006. It moved to the Minskoff, which is where it is now, yeah. to make way for Mary Poppins, which nice. was going – because the New Amsterdam Disney own. Yeah. So I guess they were just like, well, we can move it. <laughs> Do I think um, Lebo M was actually really young when he did – Oh, really? Yeah, like I vaguely – I watched a documentary at school about it. Oh, so was um, so was Julie Taymor. Yeah, she would have been in her 30s, right, or something like that. 20s, I think. She's in, she's in her late 60s now. Yeah, for the – Yes, she would have been in her early 30s. Lebo M, once the film was released, had just turned 30 and they worked on that film for quite a few years beforehand. Yeah, wow. So he would have been like he late 20s. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, carry amazing. on. New Amsterdam. Um, so, yeah, so it moved to the Minskoff. Yeah. It is still running at the Minskoff after yeah, wow. well more than 9,000 performances. It 
obviously closed due to COVID yeah. from March 2020. It reopened in September 2021. It was nominated for 11 Tony Awards at the 1998 Tonys and it won six Best Direction, Choreography, Scenic, Costume and Lighting Design mm. and Best Musical, beating out, I don't think we've talked about, I we guess have we talked about in the, the Ragtime episode, episode, but this it beat year. out Sideshow, Scarlet Pimpernel and Ragtime. That is a strong year. It's a really strong year. Especially since the 90s were not. No, there was not much going on. No. Um, this, I like, I, I don't want to be a, that person, but this was an, an upset. Like, I know that The Lion King was supposed to win, I get that, but it is incorrect. I guess it's, it's a bit like true. Phantom beating into the woods though, right? I wouldn't say that's on the same scale. No? No. But see, for example, the same thing happened that year to me where Phantom won Best Musical but Into the Woods won Best Score. Yeah. Ragtime won Best Score um, and Lion King won Best Musical. Like like, like yeah. we're really talking about an overall production, right? Yes. And not just the music mm. of the musical, mm. <laughs> you mm. know? Mm. Mm. I still like, yeah. Like I. I think Ragtime's a it's beautiful, a show. incredible show. Yeah. But And same I think Into the Woods is a better show than Phantom. hundred percent. Not just including the music, but like whatever. Yeah. Look, I'm still bitter about it, but You're it's still fine. bitter. Here from from nineteen ninety eight. Whatever. Yeah. Um, the show opened in the West End's Lyceum Theatre on October 19th, 1999, and it's still running there after more than 7,500 performances. It's so much. It's so many. It also closed for COVID. It reopened in July 2021. It was nominated for eight Olivier Awards uh, at the, I think it was the 2000 Olivier's, and it only won two. Best Theatre Choreographer is how they <laughs> title their award and costume design. It actually lost the Best New Musical Olivier to Honk. No. Yeah. That's weird. It's an odd one. Is that? But they love honk in the UK. Yeah, but they're weird. <laughs> I see. I, I prefer Lion King to honk at least. Yeah, it's interesting. That is weird. Um, There's been a bunch of US tours. I When I say bunch, yeah. there's actually been only three, but what's quite incredible is that the first one, the Gazelle Tour, <laughs> um, launched in 2002. It ran until 2017. Yeah, wow. Uh, the second one ran from 2003 to 2008 and then the third one began in 2017. It's still currently running. <laughs> what I love thinking about is like the average musical theatre performer, right, signs up to do a tour, would never even dream of the tour being yeah. such a long amount yeah. of work. Like there are just – this is such a rare story yeah. that this like – yes, unless you jumped on the cast of Phantom. I was going to say some of the Phantom tours, I think the first Phantom tour was about the same length. Yeah, but like that it's is – some of the, And the first Lame Is tour probably. It's just like, whoa, it's a long time. So a few other, like, long-running productions that are worth mentioning. Uh, the It had a two-and-a-half-year run in both Las Vegas and Los Angeles. Wow. So the Vegas production actually set the record for the longest sit-down production of a show outside of New York within uh, yeah. America. So, yeah. like, within North America. Well, sorry, not North America, within the US. Yeah. Um, which is really quite incredible. That is, yeah. Yeah. And it also ran in Toronto for four years, mm. Mexico City for three years. It has been running in Madrid, Spain since 2011. Oh, wow. It's been running in Tokyo, Japan since 1998. Oh, Continuously, and this incredible-looking production in Hamburg in Germany in which you have to access the theatre by ferry. Cool. Yeah, very love cool. Um, and what happens if there's a fire? I don't uh, love yeah. that, actually. I changed my mind. And I haven't written the last. I think it's 2001 that opened. Oh. I've just written 200. 
200. Yeah, I haven't. Really, I think it's 2001 that opens. But yeah, it looks it looks very cool. Oh well, yeah. So wow, lots of that's those. Cool. Yeah, a lot of these. Um, like I guess it's so it's like Phantom in that way. It's like Cats in that way. Yeah. Some of these incredibly long running. The original Australian one went for a few years. I think it was. Yeah, it was like. Three, three or four. Three or four, which is a long time in Australia. That is, that I is. I think it ran. I, so 2003 it, it opened. Yeah. And it, and so what it did, and this is like, you know a show is incredibly successful in Australia if it basically does like a year in Sydney and a year in Melbourne. And but it did it turns, more than that. It was just over, I yeah. think. Yeah, like 13 months or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but And then does sort of the rest of the major cities in yeah. Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't even think Hamilton really got that much. I mean, COVID. Well, COVID. Bloody COVID. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, that's the production history. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you and I were talking about, like, in researching this musical, I thought there would be, like, just a ton of stuff, like, interesting things about this produ- about this show. But because it's really still in its original run, there's yeah. actually not that much. There's not. Like, there's not much happening with it. You know, there are no, there's no new... Nothing new is happening with the production. It's the same original production. Yep. It's the same direction. It's the same costumes. Yeah. It's like there's no new orchestrations. There's one cast recording. It's exactly. like there's actually – it's not that interesting. No, exactly. Like the show that if you go see The Lion King right now, you will see what, what I saw in 2004. Yeah, that's except right. Except probably a little less energy. Yeah. Um, so, like, it's, it's in that way it's just like, oh – that's a bit disappointing. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's interesting. Isn't I don't it? know. Let's close it down for a little while and and see what happens. Wicked's a bit like it was like a bit yeah. same when we talked about Wicked. Yeah, we're it's, like, oh, it's the slightly more modern, long running musical, right? Yeah, like, like obviously Phantom and Lame Mears were the originals of those, but even Lame Mears, but Lame Mears has had. It's the same one in London, but in New, in New York, it's had like three revivals. Yeah. So at least we have those to talk about. Yes, that's right. And, and <clears throat> but yeah, there's just not much. I don't know. I've got lots of fun facts though. Yeah, to let's talk about. some fun facts. Um, the original creative team was almost exclusively white, <laughs> <laughs> except that's, for Lebo. Is that except, right? Uh, yeah, and um, there was a the choreographer. Gosh, I'm going to forget his name. Yeah, he was, I believe, Jamaican. Okay. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like, what what is great about this show in terms of diversity in the cast, it, like, it does a great job there because yeah. the cast is quite diverse, racially diverse. And it was, um, I believe, a bit groundbreaking at the time in that they went, no, we have to have African people. Yes. And they kind of have this almost like a university in South Africa, don't they, where they just basically churn out Lanking performers. Lion King performers. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, be, yeah, that's right. They didn't just want black actors they yeah. wanted african, african actors. actors yeah um so that like that's awesome and um and like i think all the productions really they have to adhere to that that's yeah. part of the production which is great so that's awesome but the creative team yeah pretty well white yeah no i mean not surprising is it no it's not but it's just like it's shit yeah you know it's just yeah. a bit shit um it's broadway's third longest running show in history yeah, wow. and it, it has grossed more than one billion dollars that's so much money so much money making it the highest grossing broadway production of all time who's the producer on it Disney theatrical. Of Disney theatrical, yeah. yeah. So they had their own. That's their own arm. So Thomas Schumacher, um, who was the producer of the film at the time, like he used to work. Yeah. He, I don't know what year he became head of Disney theatrical, but he really spearheaded all of these. Like, there would just be so much money in that world. Huge amount. Yeah. Man, Disney. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. Um. 
So puppetry, as we've mentioned, is pivotal to the storytelling yeah. of the show. And Julie, Julie Taymor seems to have combined a range of cultural theatrical traditions to tell the story. So even though, yes, the story is an African story, the, um, the actual presentation of the show draws from a lot of different cultures. Yeah. Did you read much about her background in terms of – I read of, a little bit. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. So she studied in like Indonesia. Yes. And obviously like they have a strong mask history. Yeah, well, so she was influenced by Balinese shadow puppetry, yeah. Indonesia. Asian puppet theatre, Korean mask drama, among others, because yeah. she had actually worked in these yeah. spaces and and been like had learnt in these spaces. Yeah, it seems she she was she got into it from a very young very age. Very young, yeah. And she did like uh like studied with some of these overs, like went to like Sri Lanka when she was like 15 yeah. to do so. That's quite incredible, it's really. Great. Yeah, yeah. No, so yeah, and like that really is is probably the strongest part of the production like I would say and just her ability to really realize tableau in using puppets and using masks it's quite fantastic I mean there are moments I think where it doesn't work like I think there's there's some like there's an argument that happens with I think Zazu or someone argues but the puppet is arguing with the puppeteer yeah and oh, like, okay. And there's just weird moments like that where I'm like oh I don't know if that works okay but for the most part it's quite effective yeah yeah um, yeah, there's some really, oh yeah, you was, you were sort of talking about different, um, things to do with the puppets, but mm. yeah, like it's worth mentioning that there's lots of different ways in which the actors are the animals yes. kind of thing. So for example, like the giraffes, the actors walking on stilts, yes. right. Yeah. Um, and then like even within the sort of different puppetry, like the principal characters, like Mufasa and Scar, they have a headpiece on mm. that can be uh, sort of lowered down. Like yes. if, they, if the animal lunges at someone. That's right. That can, that's like a, me- a mechanism that yeah. comes down. Like it's quite ingenious in that, yeah, the puppet, the way the puppet works mimics the way the, the animal might or the, yeah. the sort of primary characteristics of the animal. So, yeah. yeah, like the birds are all quite sort of focused on the arms and the yeah. and like up high. So there's, yeah, it's very clever in that the puppets are not uniform in the way they work. Yeah, and then obviously you've got like I think it's like Zazu, Timon and Pumbaa are all literally like what I guess we would consider like Disney like puppet costumes yes. to be. Yeah. Like literally a life-size costume yes. kind of thing. Uh, but then, yeah, it's – um. do they do – you know how in Frozen – yeah, they do still do ones where it's like a person controlling like a string puppet. A string puppet yes. in front of them, right? Yeah. Yeah. That that is what those guys are, I think. That's right. They're not in a suit. Sorry. I'm I'm getting confused. It's They're like not a, in a there's suit. There's a there's like an actual puppet that is being yes. controlled rather than By like a human. rather than something that a person wears. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, I don't think there's any suit work in this show now that I'm thinking about it. No, I don't think so either. <laughs> I'm like, I have seen it three times. I should probably know that anyway. That's the sort of impact that The Lion King has. <laughs> Terrible, isn't it? Um, okay, so the original Disney film is known to be part of the Disney Renaissance, which I mentioned. Oh, yes. So we all probably know of this like obliquely, but successful animated films were not really the norm for Disney after Walt Disney died. And mm. so the Renaissance began with The Little Mermaid in 1989 and it's sort of believed to have ended in 1999 with Tarzan. Um, so within that time oh, we had... Tarzan. <laughs> well, Tarzan's included in it. Okay, great. Um, yeah, within that time we had Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, Aladdin, Pocahontas, Hercules, Hunchback, Hunchback. etc. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, that is a that's a golden era of yeah. um, of 
Disney animated films. Yeah. Mm. I don't know if you read much, but apparently like so the the Disney Animation Studios was were working on Pocahontas at the same time as Lion King. They were. And no one wanted to work on Lion King. Like everyone thought Pocahontas was going to be the big film. Yes. Yeah. And I then that just was the, the amount of time that the Lion King took. Yeah. It's something, oh, there was some fact. But anyway, it's entirely hand-drawn, like the film. Yeah. Which is just, wow. Um, I thought this was really interesting. So – I never realised, but several of the songs that appear in the musical first appeared on a CD that was released called Rhythm of the Pride Lands. Mm. So basically they had so much kind of extra stuff from the film that Lebo M um, was like, can we release this? So it had a bunch of, say, like demo songs that that didn't make it in. And then the thing that I didn't realise is that um, there were two songs on the album called um, Leia Halelela. Holy Land and La La were adapted into respectively Shadowland and Endless Night. Oh, nice. So they had Swahili lyrics yes. um, on that, on I that album. That. Yeah. And then they just got English lyrics written for them for the musical. That's great. And, like, yeah. who knew? That is cool. <laughs> That's a cool fact. That. Yeah. that is a fun fact. So that um, Rhythm of the rhythm of the Pride Lands um, is on Spotify. It's one of the things I'm going to link to. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so it's just it, they literally call it like, Music inspired by The Lion King. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, nice. Um, back to the film for a bit. Uh, I couldn't really verify this, so it could be an urban legend, but apparently Disney animators um, sort of gained access to some hyena research facility in California. Oh, yeah. And, like, for research to, you know, to, like, sort of figure out how hyenas behaved and moved yeah. so that they could animate the film. Um, and apparently they promised, like, part of the condition that they would be in this facility is that they promised to portray the animals in a, like, mildly positive light. Oh. So when the film was released and the, the hyenas, hyenas... are the bad guys. Like, the uber villains. Yeah. Um, a hyena research unsuc- researcher unsuccessfully sued Disney for defamation of hyena character. Oh. Yeah, obviously, like, th- that is a nuisance suit. And I don't, I can't even verify if that happened. Yeah. But uh, yeah, because you can't apparently uh, defame an animal. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, it's, we should mention that the, the show was reworked in 2010. They yeah. made some changes. I think they cut about nine minutes or something like that from the show. Um, including the entirety of the song, The Morning Report. Good. That song's shit. Yeah. So interestingly, so it was actually. Nine a, minutes is a lot. Yeah, it is a fair bit. Yeah. Um, so I think it went from like two hours 40 to two hours, two and a half with an interval. And they felt like two hours 40 was. 231, you mean? Because that's. Well, yes, true. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Pedant. Um, so, yeah, so basically it was in the film version. Yeah. It was written for the film. It was in the film version. It was cut from the film. It was then, at, they decided to add it into the musical and it was in the musical for 10 years, more than 10 years. And then it was cut as well. And But I think it was actually added back into the special edition of the film. Oh. It's really weird. That anyway, is weird. It's also not really clear why exactly they made those cuts mm. to the show. I, I read on some message boards some people were like, it was probably during a break when Julie Tamer was doing Spider-Man and she just like, oh, production shut down again. I'll just go to Lion King and check it out and make some changes. Nice. It is around that time though. Imagine. Um, but also uh, a lot of people said that, particularly with Morning Report, if they cut that, there was less stuff for the, like, so there's little kids in the show playing sim- like young Simba and young Nala. Yeah. That there would be less. For them, for them to, to have to, like, learn and do kind yeah, of thing. Right. So they felt like it was to do with that. 
Do you think like the way that it works if like say for Julie Taymor, is she like, does she still get paid? 100%. And like does she have to go, surely she would have like some sort of obligation where for as long as it is still going, she has to go and check in with them every now and then. No, I doubt that. I doubt. Like I know she's still getting residuals but, I mean, getting paid as a director, do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. No, she would be getting something like uh, it would be some percentage of one percent of the gross kind of thing. Well, for sure, but you know what I you know what I'm trying to say. Well, like, like is what, she still, still work to do? Yeah, like is she still working? It's a good is she question. not just living off those residuals? I don't hundred percent know. I wonder um, the answer to that because it's not like she if she's not really being paid, she can't just show up and make yeah. changes. But if I don't know, yeah. She's definitely still getting paid. I know she's still getting a lot of I mean, money. I mean, that, that's all she ever has to do yes. now is yes. those productions continue running and she gets a cut. Imagine having done sort of the best thing you'll ever do by the time you're 30. It's a weird thing, isn't it's it? Weird. It's really weird. Yeah. I'm hoping I peak some other time later. Excellent. Like I hope I haven't hit my peak. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not comparing myself to Julie Taymor. Anyway, <laughs> in each production, the phrase Hakuna Matata is repeated 25 times, which actually doesn't seem like as many as I thought it would be. Like I thought it would be more than 25. And it's mostly just in that song. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't seem like enough to be such an important uh, like message. I've read to I didn't write it down. I should have written it down. Um, some sort of like suggested statistic for how many people have Hakuna Matata tattooed on them. Oh. And it was like some ludicrous amount of people. Yeah, right. Yeah. That sort of doesn't surprise me. No, God, no. No. Because it means no worries. <laughs> for the rest of your days. That's right. Um, I have a bunch more facts about the film it was the highest grossing film of 1994 and at that point was the second highest grossing film of all time what yeah second only to jurassic park what a great film um it remained that way until independence day took it over two years later and it at that point held the title of the highest grossing animated film until it was overtaken by Finding Nemo in 2003. Wow. It is still the highest grossing traditionally animated film of all time. Hand-drawn, yes. That's the... Yeah, yeah, as well as the best-selling film on home video, having sold over 55 million copies worldwide. Oh, yeah, I owned one of those VHS... Same. ...tapes. Same. Yeah. It's pretty... What's um, VHS stand for? Oh, is it like? It's like video. Video head. Is it something to the head? Head. Oh, why is that? Oh, this is important now. Yeah. VHS acronym. Stand by, everyone. Um, video home system. Oh, that's far less interesting than I thought. <laughs> video home system. Oh, VHS. Um, can I tell you this really <laughs> This bit, a little story. So we watched the most amazing documentary a few years ago called Brothers in Blood. Okay. um, Which is about a fairly unusually incredibly strong pride of lions. Uh, If you can find this documentary, I highly recommend it. I do love like a nature doco. Oh, my God. So it's uh, kind of, it's, they're called the Mapogo Lions. Yep. And... I'm going to get it all wrong, but basically it's like a documentary crew. I can't remember where they were. They were in... um, Oh, what's the, what's, it wasn't like Kruger. It was some sort of like some national park. Anyway, this documentary crew had sort of like detected them and started filming them as they sort of came, these young, five young lions came into like the the territory of, of another pride of lions because yeah. that's how they work. They have like their own, they're like 
areas um, that they control. And so these five lions came in and just like obliterated the entire pride. Wow. And had like some of them, because what apparently traditional sort of lion behavior is that if you, once you take over a new pride, you mate with the females and kill all the existing cubs to like get rid of the other. Oh my God. And so these five lions were like super violent about it. So they like killed all the cubs. One of the lions ate some cubs, which is not apparently not normal, but yeah. lion behavior, but then they like mate with the, with the females and whatever. But, um, yeah, anyway, it's unclear whether Scar allowing Simba's mother to live is realistic. Oh. I mean, there's a lot that's unrealistic about this film, obviously, uh, but generally a lion will take over control of a pride, kill the cubs, mate with the females, or will kill the females. So, like, it's it's actually it's, it's even strange that, he would consi- that Scar would consider marrying Nala yeah. and keep all those females who are loyal to Mufasa around. That's, there's, like, not a there's thing. There's a whole kind of thing where Scar is sort of gay-coded, right? Like, that's, like, a whole... Interesting. Yeah, I believe that's a whole... There's a whole, like, thought of that. Yeah, right. Yeah. That could just be Jeremy Irons' voice, though, right? I think that and, like, the fact that he's sort of, yeah, like, not really shown as any sort of romantic. Yes. Yeah, there's, like, a bunch of that stuff Interesting. going on. Yeah. But what... Um, what I found fascinating about this documentary is really just lion behaviour is actually incredibly interesting. Mm. It's actually really rare for a male lion to work alone as part of like a of a pride and so it's it's probably not that realistic that like Mufasa was the king. Right. It would be much more just like a, like a, a, gr- a group yeah. and they would all sort of have roles and there would probably be like a dominant lion within that but they would all be quite like mm. major in the um, – yeah, unless he – unless – some lions do work alone if they're nomads, if they don't belong to a pride. Yeah, but right. Scar wasn't a nomad. Scar no. is in that, so that actually he was doesn't. The brother. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um. Not that I think any of the other behaviors make sense, but anyway, if you're interested in lions and you will love this documentary because yeah. it is fascinating. Okay, definitely. And they get a lot of cool footage. But basically these Mapogo lions, they reckon killed like 100 other lions. Like the lion population over the years that they were in control of all this territory just like plummeted. Fascinating. Yes, it is. Yeah. What I didn't realise too is that like the hyena thing, like obviously lions are apex and um, what's the other one? Predators. They're two type of predators. Oh, okay. Oh, what's anyway. Yeah. But like very close to them are hyenas and like cheetahs and leopards. And yeah. so that they're not like necessarily hugely dominant over hyenas. No. Um, so, yeah, it's like, okay, well, that part maybe was realistic. But then yeah. according to this researcher in California, hyenas are not the like stupid mindless beasts that the yeah. Lion King portrays. <laughs> they have more nuance. So awkward. So awkward. Um. <laughs> I think it's worth mentioning, I sent this to Josephine during the week, but I've been obsessed with this clip. Oh, yes. From So the American Theatre Wing in the States, they they have done these roundtable discussions called Working in the Theatre. Like, I think they actually call it a TV show. Like it was shown on like local hmm. access TV for years and they've been doing this show for decades and they had a an episode in 1998. So they would have these episodes. Sometimes they were – uh, I might have even mentioned it on the podcast before, but sometimes it would be like stage management and they'd have like five stage managers on and do a roundtable. But sometimes it would be focused on a production. So in this case, it was on The Lion King and they had this roundtable discussion and I watched it. They released a bunch of them in the sort of mid 2000s and I would just like, I, I've, I've seen all of them. Like I've just gone through and watched you all of them. You are so cute. And um, so this one, and I remember thinking at the time it was quite incredible. So this was like 10 years after it had been released, this this um, this video, 
And it's it's uh, Rick Elise who was the um, advertising executive of it. And he has actually gone on to write um, – he also, like, wrote several shows. Mm. Um, he wrote Peter and the Starcatcher, which is, like, one of my favourite plays I've ever seen. You've mentioned. Yes. And he was um, he was married to the actor Roger Rees. Um, he was with him for years, who sadly passed away a few years ago, but, like, incredible performer. Um, but, yeah, he's he's – was an advertising executive and he was the advertising executive for Lion King. Yeah. And on this round table, they're talking about the fact that they kind of realized super early on. And, and at this stage, they're like a few months into the run, right? They're talking about an advertising strategy that is the show running for 10 or 20 years. Like he literally Just says never that. never been heard of. Right? Like, so at this stage, yes, Phantom has been running for about 10 years, right? Like it's late eighties. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and so that, but that's kind of it, right? Mm. Like that, that, and and I guess Les Mis had been running for a similar amount of time, Mm -hmm. but to go in with that feeling with a new musical, a brand new musical on Broadway is certainly unheard of. Well, yeah. Like by then Phantom had been running for what, like eight years. And to, to call your brand new musical, like, potentially more successful than yeah. Fans of the Opera is like, oh, wow. Yeah. And Cats, the hubris. Cats would have been around for a bit longer. Yes. But, yes, exactly. And so literally he says, you know, we're looking at this advertising strategy for over 20 years and everyone laughs at him. Yeah, wow. And it's quite – and so I remember watching this but 10 like, years into its run. What an incredible visionary. Right? And and we're now 24 years in. Insane. And so, like, well past that 20. And, of course, no – I mean, it still sells out yeah. basically every week. I mean, I don't understand how, but <laughs> this person was correct. Yeah. And so I actually found that video on YouTube, that episode, that American Theatre Wing has been uploading them to YouTube, and I'm going to link to the, that exact moment um, if people want to watch that. <laughs> that. I love but that. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been obsessed with it for years. I just – I don't know, the the way that everyone reacted and he was spot on. Yeah, wow. Imagine yeah. having that much, like, foresight. Yeah. I want to get into his brain. I know. Mm. He's just a very clever person generally. I really like him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I wanted to meant to just to sort of talk about is the fact that Disney hired Julie Taymor, mm. I think, is worth discussing because mm. if, if, just think about like, so at this stage in her career, when she's hired to do this, like she's a very experimental director. Very young. Very young. She'd mostly worked in on Shakespeare and opera. Those are kind of the only two things she'd done at this stage. And obviously like had this huge uh, experience with masks and puppets. Those were her, uh, you know, yeah. forte as we know watching the show. But just being given the keys to this like incredibly commercial work. So what was she been? Oh, no. 52, 62, 72, 82, 92. Am I doing to... that? Am I, she was 40. When Is she did right? it? Yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. Like okay. late 30s? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Still oh, yeah. Pretty she was young. Would, oh, yeah. Definitely. So young. Yeah. And, well, yeah, like, I know we say, like, she is the visionary, yes, but also whoever hired her is the visionary. Yeah. <laughs> to say, like, Which would okay, have been Thomas Schumacher. let's yeah. do this weird thing. Like, well, let's go fully avant-garde with this production because yeah. before that, that's what she'd done, a whole lot of avant-garde yeah. opera and, yeah. And I will say that um, in that episode as well, I think they talk about, so to begin with, she had this whole idea where, like, they start offers animals and become human or the other way around. Mm. Like there was this whole sort of idea she had and Disney kind of went, nah, 
it can't be that. Yeah, wow. It can't be that avant-garde kind of thing. It has yeah. to be fairly, It still needs to be, yeah, yeah visually but like. But just also just like she would never get hired today. No. The way that Disney does musicals today is is so sort of textbook in yeah. comparison. Very conservative in comparison. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, I don't know, it's just really, it's just really interesting to think about. Yeah, that is actually, I hadn't really thought about that like that before. Yeah. Mm. It's like, mm. like to take a chance I know. on that. I w- it was a good chance. She was the first, by the way, I don't think I mentioned, she was the first ever woman to win Best Director at the That's Tonys. right. Yes, she yeah. was. She yeah. was indeed. Which is quite. Good on her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, look, it's interesting. I I think that the Lion, the stuff she does in The Lion King is incredible. Mm. I have since seen several shows that she's been involved with over the years. Well, definitely two. I saw her production of The Magic Flute, the mm. opera. In fact, did we go together? We did. And we did. I also saw Spider-Man, uh, Turn Off the Dark. Oh, your whole face just got so disappointed. You look so mad. one of the worst shows I've ever seen. Yes, yes. It is a fucking mess. It's pretty Um, bad. And The Magic Flute was like... Lovely. Yeah, beautiful production. But again, she does the same tricks in all her shows. It's very true, she does. And in particular, actually, I don't... No, if that was the production. I know we saw the Magic Flute together. I don't know that it was her production, actually. The one we saw was the one with all those, um, like, uh, tra- not trapeze artists. What are the ones who were on the ribbons? Like um, air- like aerialists yeah. kind of thing, like silks. Yeah, silks, that's yeah. right. We saw that. Okay, so I don't think that was her production. I think I've seen it since, <laughs> um, after I saw Spider-Man. Oh. And, and that it was her production. And I remember the, the Green Goblin's outfit was basically like, Papageno was the Green Goblin. Oh my god! Yeah. So yeah, right. Okay. I just remember like it's like okay, you've got you one have thing. this idea, yeah. and that's what you do every show. Oh, uh, and look, if it works, whatever, go nuts. Yeah, do it. Get your jobs. Get your collect your money. She can just do whatever she wants, right? Yeah. I mean, it's a dream life in that, that sense. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. See, so, yeah, like I just don't really have strong feelings for this show for The Lion King, and to me, actually, it's a great first show. Uh, for a person who is new to theatre. And also, like, if you're a kid, for example, like yep. let's say you were 10 yep. and seeing your first on stage. Then that would be so awesome. Yeah. But, yeah, it just doesn't offer anything particularly interesting or particularly new. Um, and, yeah, until we get some new cast recordings or a revival, it's just going to feel dated, mm. I think. So I've linked to a few cast recordings. Well, not cast recordings. There's there's the Broadway there's cast. Yeah. Um, there is other cast recordings that we should say, but they're just not. That's the only English one, yeah. I believe. I think they actually did do a South African one oh, originally. Yeah. It's just it's not on Spotify, um, but that is also in English. Yeah. Um, but I'm linking to the original Broadway cast. I'm I'm linking to the film soundtrack in case anyone wants to listen to that and that Rhythm of the Pride Land CD. Yeah, that one I'm definitely going to listen yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I had to listen. Yeah, nice. What about Gateway songs? Um, I chose just the most obvious, The Circle of Life and Can You Feel the Love Tonight. Yeah, so um, – oh, no, I think you chose – Oh, no, Just, just Can't, can't wait, wait to Be King. Yeah. That's right. So because I remember – I like, hate Can You Feel the Love Tonight. Rarely does, um, does Josephine – do that before me like I'm not used to sort of you were so upset her getting in first with the and I was like oh because I never get to see what you pick normally oh yeah because sort of you don't look it. yeah and so I was like oh interesting and I'm normally the one who's like the basic bitch and chooses the most famous songs well, it's just like well yeah yeah 
So I would definitely agree with Circle of Life. And Circle of Life is an incredible song. It's great. It's yeah. awesome. Yes. Um, I have included two other songs which selfishly I love. But are they gateways? I, I do think they are. If you're a musical theatre nerd, right. I think you'll love these songs. Great. Right? Lay them on us. They are Endless Night, Simba's big um, solo in the second act. Don't make that sound no, at me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Endless Night, I like. it's one of my favourite songs. Yeah. I love You're it. You're so emphatic about this. I love it. I am. And the other one is the He Lives in You reprise, which I also think is an excellent song. Yeah, that is a nice moment in yeah. the show, definitely. Yeah. So those are the other two that I have added as well as agreeing with Circle of Life. Yeah, look, it's just like whatever. If you yeah. have to listen to it, whatever. Yeah. It's just The Lion King. Exactly. Until we have new news to report, yeah. we shan't speak of it again. Indeed. Nice. Um, are we doing something fun next time? I can't remember. Oh, shit. Let's have a look sometime. I think we're up to like Godspell. Godspell. That'll Is be fun. Is it Godspell? Well, let's do Godspell I'm, anyway. I feel like I mentioned something to you this week that I wanted to do. What was that? You want to do um, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Yes. Yeah. Please. Yeah, let I, me. I'll have to. I, like I said to you this week, I don't know the show very well, so I'll have to give it a good listen if we do it. I might rewatch the film actually this weekend. Yeah. Is, is it based on the film? Yes, it is. Yeah, cool. It is. Awesome. I don't mean to talk about Kiss of the Spider Woman, but it's one of those shows where when I was younger, when I heard about it, I had an idea of what the show was and it is so vastly different from what you think the show is going to be. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Anyway. I actually started looking to it this week after you messaged me. I need to give it a good go. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's The Lion King. That is. And And, uh, we'll see you later. We'll see you for a mixtape At another time. Indeed. Bye. Bye.